Welcome back to a special edition of the Mysteria podcast. I am joined today by returning guest, Mr. Vincent Plana. How you doing today, man? I'm not too bad, thank you. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm I'm in the zone. I'm I'm ready to yeah. I'm ready to get her going. Um, so today is going to be a bit of a different style of podcast. Um, as we are recording this, it's uh, about nine p.m. on Wednesday. Yes. yes, Wednesday. Wednesday, March third, and. Friday, March 5th at 8 p.m. Uh, marks, wow, we're less than 48 hours away. Wow. <laughs> um, uh, is the start of the 4 by 4 by 48 challenge. And for people who do not know, the 4 by 4 by 48 such a mouthful saying that over and over it again. Is. Um, that challenge is created by none other than David Goggins. And the challenge is based on the premise that you run four miles every four hours for 48 hours. And it's basically just torture and something crazy to do. (laughs) (laughs) And um, it's the second annual uh, challenge. I first heard about this challenge when I read David's book, I guess about two and a half or three years ago, something like that. And also um, in Jesse Itzler's book, Living with a Seal, uh, which mm-hmm. we find out uh, later because we bought the uh, revised edition or updated edition or whatever, um, that the seal in question um, was also David Goggins. So he's, he's getting around. He's getting out there. And basically, this podcast is... is probably going to be a little uh might be a little raunchier um than previous ones it's a different format and uh by raunchy i mean it's going to be a little more raw and i'm going to give a bit of a language warning uh just because people have told me that they enjoy listening to this podcast with their kids <laughs> so this isn't so much a kid friendly um podcast just because from looking at some of the passages from some of these books, there's a fair bit of swearing in there and you, you can't cut it out. You got to keep it in. It's part of the whole thing. Yeah. And the other um, reason that this podcast is going to be a little bit different is you're going to be getting a little bit more of an insight into, well, you're going to be getting a, a pretty substantial insight into some of the events in my life from the last year that basically put me on the path that I'm on now. And you're also going to hear some passages from some books that kind of got me through some of those times. And I just feel that I'm already getting emotional about it Um, because I think this is, it's worth, it's worth sharing. And in private, I've been having these types of conversations and I've been hearing um, really positive feedback from it. 
And as much as it is really, I mean, it's been probably about 10 days of psyching myself up to do this podcast. Um, just because it's, it's difficult to open, you know, because I'm going to be discussing some of my thoughts and, and things that are very personal to me. And even though it may not seem like a big deal um, from the outside looking in, um, it's difficult to open yourself up to be vulnerable like that. And it's not something that I've really done for many months now. I've just kind of been quietly hunkered down at my house in, uh, in, in our gym that I, I like, I've very aptly nicknamed the dungeon. And, um, I've just kind of been plotting away and trying to get a foothold into, um, some of the things that I want to achieve and, you know, I'm just going to kind of open up about that. And, um, I hope that this information is informative and hopefully, um, I think more or less, I'm, I'm also excited for people to also disagree with me too. Um, because what I've come to learn and we'll get into this is that how everybody is so unique and how everybody has their own strengths and weaknesses and personality and goals and experiences and, and how this all kind of comes together. But yet we're all just kind of trying to do the same thing. We're all trying to get to where we want to be. And that's a great thing. And I hope that, you know, some of the things that we mentioned today, hopefully some of the things you hear, you go, damn, that's awesome. And hopefully, uh, a couple of the things you go, man, that Marcus is just totally off the mark. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I like that too, because you know what, no matter what, um, I still feel like I accomplished my goal because in order for you to disagree with me or for you to think differently than me, you still had to listen to what I said and you had to critically analyze that for yourself. And that's the ultimate goal is to take this information in, critically analyze it and utilize it in a way that is specific to you to get you to where you want to be. And I think that's pretty damn awesome. And yeah, I think that's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of the introduction. I think that's sort of the way it's going to go. Um, I'll throw it over to you and then we'll, um, we'll hop right into uh, the first book. Uh, I'll kind of yeah. give an overview of that. Um, so You've known about the four by four by 48 for a while. And then I told you that I was going to participate in that. Um, and even with this podcast, I think I've changed the format on you like five times at this point. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just tell me, uh, just tell me some of your thoughts before we kick it off here. Well, I mean, before we get started, this is something I wanted to bring up because you told me, uh, earlier in a phone call. Why, why don't you tell me about the, uh, the training or lack thereof that you've been doing for it? For the run? Yes. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, 
decided to run 48 miles in two days, right? Yeah, 48 miles yeah. in two days. Um, having not run more than five kilometers in the last seven years. So the last time I did any type of, uh, any type of substantial running was uh, soccer. Actually, not quite seven. I think it's about six. I think it was 18 yeah. or 19, uh, roughly. Um, I'm not much of a runner. I've never enjoyed running. I've never really ran um, outside of soccer. Played hockey, got into MMA. You know, I stay in shape, do a lot of other things, but not running. Um, now, you may be thinking to yourself, you're kind of out of your mind to think that your body will be able to get through 48 miles of running with three, four weeks of training. Um, normally, I would agree with you. However, um, we did get into this a little bit on the previous podcast that you and I did, which is the one that's the, the most recent one on, on the feed here. Mm -hmm. Um, but I did do a fair bit of editing because it just wasn't the right time I felt to be getting into some of those topics, but we're going to get into those today, which is the training that I've been doing is focused on achieving the Guinness world record for most chin-ups in 24 hours. And the primary focus of, of training for that is of course, getting reps in and getting in shape to do chin-ups. Um, however, I would say that the 95% of my focus has been on toughening my mind and training my mind to allow my body to execute the goal that I'm trying to achieve. It starts and ends in the mind. And I've been doing... I like to think that my progress has been pretty good, hit a couple of speed bumps along the way, but for the most part, training has been quite well. And by that, I mean the mental side as well as the physical side, but it starts and ends with the, the mental side. And the day that Goggins announced on his Instagram, which I believe was January 20th, that he was going to, uh, that, that this was the dates for the, four by four by 48. We should make that into a drinking game. Every time I say four by four by 48, you got to take a shot. <laughs> we should also brainstorm an easier nickname for it. Cause yeah. it's just a mouthful. I know it's such a mouthful. Ugh, <laughs> so clunky. Goggins got to tighten that up. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, I decided on that day that I was going to not participate. I was going to complete it. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, and we'll, we'll get into that as we get a little further along, but, uh, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, I do. I do want to throw out, I'm pretty excited to hear that it's a four by four by 48. Cause I thought it was six miles instead of a four oh. <laughs> that I would have to run. So right. <laughs> side note, I'm going to be joining him for one of the stretches. He's going to be joining I, me for all of the stretches. I have not trained either. So not not really the same boat, but I am terrified of running. But that makes two of us. I feel you. It's it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. <laughs> so, 
today's format is going to be, um, I'm trying to think the best way to describe this. So as we sit here on March 2nd, 3rd, pardon me, March 3rd, Wednesday the 3rd, um, <laughs> I've been recording podcasts. I've got about uh, six, uh, seven uh, saved up, recorded. Um, some of them have already gone through production, post-production. Some have yet to see that process. Um, one of the podcasts that I recorded with uh, Vicki Whitehead, we focused on a book called The Sacred Tree. And I'm not going to get into it too much today. I do have a section that I will discuss uh, today, but it is just a, a shorter section that I feel is most applicable to the context of today's conversation. Um, but this book, uh, <laughs> I, 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 it's not a stretch to say that it was life-changing and it was very recent. It was a very recent discovery. It was uh, about three weeks ago from today. And what it did was, I believe, level, level up. That's sort of the process that I would describe it. And when I say level up, I don't mean that I finally like learned a whole bunch of shit that, you know, is just like life changing. By that, I mean, I think I became a lot more aware, self-aware of how much I don't know. And when I had that feeling, it was exciting and kind of very paradoxical because it kind of let, let me know that I was onto something. And I'm very excited to continue to pursue that from a, from a learning perspective um, because that book in particular and Relentless, which is going to be read, a section is going to be read today, couldn't be two, the, the two totally different books. I mean, they're just, they couldn't be any more different. And yet the effect that it had on me was shockingly the same. And just kind of, you know, you take a step back, it forces you to take pause a little bit and reflect and just take stock of where you are and where you're going. And I know this might sound like really hippy dippy. I don't know it's coming out of my mouth. Sounds a little hippy dippy <laughs> to me, but I'm going to really do my best to get these points across and hopefully it, it adds some value for the listeners. Um, so yes, so we are going to start today. We have five books uh, on the queue today. Uh, Relentless by Tim Grover, Positively Unstoppable by Diamond Dallas Page, uh, Sacred Tree, which is uh, has a number of contributing authors, including uh, Phil Lane Jr., um, who at the time was known as Phil Lane Jr. Uh, since 1984, when that book was published, he's now Chief Phil Lane Jr. Uh, one section from David Goggins' book, Can't Hurt Me, and we're going to finish on 10 minute toughness. And yeah, so should I, uh, but before I give the uh, historical context, 
Um, is there anything that you wanted to uh, add? You know, nothing too much to add. I think one thing that's interesting to note maybe is that the books for you have really served a purpose of, I, I don't want to speak too much on your behalf, but you know, you're in, I guess, a, a less than ideal or a challenging point of your life. And for you, maybe it was about how you get out of that spot and then how you just dial in and push forward. And I've read three of the five books that we're about to talk about. And just to throw out that, you know, coming from a little bit of a different place where, you know, I definitely haven't gone through the same things that you've gone through over the past 12 to 24 months. But nonetheless, the books have had remarkable value for me in the sense that I'm, I'm just going to explain for, for me personally is that, look, as we're talking or as we're speaking, the COVID-19 pandemic is still going on, right? Uh, we've all lost a little bit. We've all struggled with our own things. Um, I'm in a well enough position in terms of family and having a job and all of that, but you know, here's, I guess, one of the biggest things that I thought about at the start of the pandemic and that I've kind of thought about from time to time, but it's, this is really just dialed it in for me is that one day, hopefully soon, who knows when this pandemic is going to end and we will get to hopefully go out, spend time with our friends, with our family, with our loved ones, go outside, do all of that. And at that time, there are going to be people, unfortunately or unfortunately, whatever, who wish that they had done more to be ready for it, whether that's ready in terms of work or their financials or their fitness or their athletics, which is something that obviously we share. And man, they're just like, that's just all it comes down to is that, you know, yeah, this whole thing sucks, but it's going to end one day. And when it ends, you know, you can either be a little bit ahead, a lot ahead, or you can just be kind of wishing that you use that time to do something else. So yeah, a little bit of, um, that's kind of a little bit of what the books have served for me. Very well said. I agree with everything that you, uh, that you just said there. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well said. Um, yeah. So before we get into the books, um, going to give kind of a quick rundown of sort of the, the road that's led to today. And then I'm gonna share some of these books, some passages from these books, and we're gonna have a little discussion and we're gonna close it out. Um, I do have a couple announcements at uh, three to be exact um, for the end of this podcast. So stay tuned for that and yeah. So I think we'll, we'll crack on here. Yeah. So the chin up record, uh, started off, um, heading into third year of law school. And right before I got back to the UK, um, when I was here, um, over the summer home, home in Vancouver over the summer, um, I started to feel a, a little bit of that uh, <laughs> existential crisis, like, um, 
you know, third and final year, things are coming to an end. Um, I wasn't so much concerned. Like I wasn't like having a pity party or, or nothing like that, but I think the seeing the light at the end of the tunnel is a very bittersweet moment because life as you know, it is going to change drastically going from a student who your structure is basically determined for you. You have your classes, you have a rough idea of who you need to be around, where you need to be. And, you know, you just go out and execute. And I've always known that after uh, university, it would be going into the workforce. Um, but there still is a lot of unknowns there. You still don't know who you're going to work for. You have people that you keep in mind who you'd like to work for, but you don't really know. It's stressful, you know, and you're also realizing that some of the people that you have come to care for dearly, um, you're not going to be able to see them as much anymore. And that's a tough thing to um, come to grips with. And so anyway, so we're at the beginning, just about to start third year. And I'm thinking to myself, the bit, one of the other things was what makes, so I'm going to, I'm going to graduate law school. Okay. That's a great accomplishment. Like that's not anything to, uh, you know, thumb your nose at. Um, but from my perspective, I was kind of looking at it going, well, there really isn't much that makes me different than everybody else in my class. And, and that was the focus. It was a class of 200 in my third, 200 ish in, in third year. And I was kind of sitting back going, all right, I mean, I've done some stuff, you know, extracurricular. Okay. But nothing that would make you go, Oh shit. You know, that that's sort of what I was going for. And for me right away, what stood out was some type of physical element because I've always been a very gifted athlete. I've always enjoyed athletics. I push hard, lead by example, enjoy the struggle, enjoy the camaraderie. And for me, what caught my attention was, and my classmates are going to laugh at this when they hear this, which is when you look around a lecture full of 200 people, not a whole lot of athletes in that bunch. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, I identified something that made me unique amongst my peers, which was, okay, I got this athletic thing going for me. Okay. Understood. How do I capitalize on that? How do I make the most of that? How do I differentiate myself the, in the most effective way? And obviously from reading Goggins book, I was familiar with the pull-up record um, the fact that it took him three times to achieve it. And it started off as a joke, which was, wouldn't it be cool to do 500 chin-ups? And the reason that I picked chin-ups was because at that point in time, I couldn't do a single pull-up. So to break a pull-up record didn't even really kind of come into my thought because I can't do a single one. So like, what's the deal with that? Now you may be thinking, how many chimps could you do? The answer was 20. That was the most I'd ever done, which would be broken up into sets of five. So 
in my weightlifting routine, that was the amount of chin-ups that I could do. And to me, 500 chin-ups sounded pretty good. Like that sounds like, that's, you know, that's, that's a good number. That's a high number to achieve, right? So then I started hitting the, the YouTube search and uh, I was seeing people doing a thousand. I was seeing 2000 and then I saw pull-up record, a uh, uh, chin-up record, Guinness world record. And for me, that was what caught my attention was, okay, like, let's do this then. The reason the, the final kind of push in that direction was a friend of mine, in air quotes, we'll put friend, <laughs> um, said to me, there's no way you can do that. Like, just don't even, and, and it wasn't like in a jokey way. It was like, like, what are you even thinking about that for? Like, don't even, don't even go there. Like, it's just not going to happen. And I kind of laughed and went, oh yeah, you know, it just kind of played it off. Right. It just didn't really, I didn't really say, I didn't really fight them. I didn't push back. I just kind of laughed it off and, and that was the end of it. And that's when I started thinking, you know, things started moving right? Things started moving. Third year of law starts, we get through first semester, ends in December. Um, we end up in uh, COVID. So we get to February, March. Uh, COVID's in full swing. I leave the UK. I come back home to Vancouver. And um, that's when the training really set in. That is when I started becoming a lot more studious when it came to not just law, because you're still continuing your second semester, but also basically becoming my own sports psychologist. And my thinking behind that was I'm too broke to afford a sports psychologist. <laughs> and luckily for me, I have all these amazing resources at my fingertips, but I just got to put the work in and start studying and start experimenting with my mind and my body. And of course, um, David Goggins book, primarily his audio book, no exaggerating. Um, I've listened to the audio book well over 50 times at this point. I've read the book three times. Um, so I'm very familiar um, with, you know, the, the ideas that are discussed in that book and the other big push for me was the release of the Last Dance documentary series on Netflix. And that's where I believe it was you who I was talking about this documentary, like, you know, this thing's unbelievable. Like, I just can't. Yeah, and, I think so. Yeah. And then that's when you suggested Relentless. And Relentless, yeah. written by Tim Grover, was Michael Jordan's personal trainer that's how Tim got his career started. His first ever client was his heiress, Michael Jordan. <laughs> and I actually am holding Vincent Plana's copyright here. I did buy my own hardcover, but I have not yet returned. I got the sticky fingers. I haven't returned Vincent's book. <laughs> um, and getting an insight into who I consider to be the gold standard, one of the gold standards for mental toughness and determination is Michael Jordan. And I also want to throw out there that my, uh, 
my, my idol, Mr. Uh, Tampa Bay, Tampa Brady over there, um, winning a seventh Super Bowl, I think is another illustration of just these absolute phenoms that we are fortunate enough. I mean, at least in Tom Brady's case, we are fortunate enough to live through the Brady era. Unfortunately, uh, Michael Jordan was a little bit before. However, due to the magic of YouTube, um, I've basically been burning through every single Chicago Bulls championship playoff game um, that I can get my hands on, which is pretty much every game. Actually, if you look hard enough, you can find every single playoff game. So I'm about two thirds of the way through uh, all those, uh, you know, from 90 to 91 to 93 and, and 96 to 90, uh, 98. Yeah. And Basically, I would say fast forwarding between March to um, August, basically was kind of every day was the same. It was uh, work out, read, obsess, basically. And we're talking in those months, we're talking thousands of hours, no bullshit, of when I wasn't working out, if I was watching TV, playing a video game, doing the dishes, all I was doing was thinking about this chin-up record. How am I going to get there? What am I going to do? What are the steps I need to take? Thinking about the concepts from Goggin's book. Uh, and I mean, I, I will also say the, the handful of books that are, have been picked today, there's 50 other books that are, were just as important um, but these are the ones, as far as sharing knowledge and kind of that hierarchy of what's the most important information to, dis to discuss today, it's these books. Um, there are many honorable mentions, and I'll try and throw those books out there. Um, but it basically became the faster I can learn, the more quickly I can implement the things that I've learned to see if they work or not. And like we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, today is not about doing what I've done. It's about listening to what I've done, what I've listened to, the theories, the concepts that I've been relying on to get me to where I need to be. But ultimately, the goal and the thing that I can't stress enough is this information and any information that you come across in trying to achieve your goals, always, always, always do it for yourself and really don't pay attention to what anybody else does. Take in the information and use it for yourself and test it in your own way. It's okay to, you know, I, I do workouts, you know, that are like a nickels and dimes workout. That's a David Goggins workout. I do that workout, but you're not trying to be David. What you're trying to do is trying to take the lessons that your teachers are giving you and finding the best way to, to make, to, finding the way to make it most effective for your life and what you want and what you're trying to achieve. And that's the idea. We fast forward to August and I return uh, to the UK uh, because I got, I have a flat that I'm renting. I got all my shit there. <laughs> I got to go get my stuff. So I, I go back to the UK um, and I'm there from August to uh, November 10th. And during that time, I 
uh, underwent a kind of personal issue. Um, and it was particularly difficult to deal with. And basically I would say that's probably the lowest point in my life. I would say that that month long stretch between uh, August and September was probably uh, actually we'll say worst or second worst. It, 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 it was bad in a different way. Um, but it, it was the most hurt that I've been, you know, until, you know, that time. And I didn't really know what to do. Um, I was alone. I, my roommate was in his home country. He wasn't there. Uh, my family, of course, is in Vancouver. Uh, none of my friends are there because um, we've either graduated at that point in time or my friends in the year younger um, class weren't there because it wasn't semester time yet. Semester time for England starts uh, about a month later than it does in North America, looking around October. So, you know, you couldn't be more alone. And like you mentioned, uh, COVID full swing. So there's not a whole lot of interacting going on. And basically what kind of kicked my ass into gear. Well, and actually I will say that the worst time of my life was that period of time. The best time of my life, I think, right, uh, like at this point in time, were the three months between uh, August to November, uh, end of August to November. I cherish those months so greatly um, because in order to deal with that personal issue, um, David Goggins in his book talks a lot about how no one's coming to save you. Now, you're not alone. There may be, now, not in all cases. I mean, Goggins, his story is, is a lot of him kind of getting through it on his own. But he also had people around him who supported him. Um, you know, like the, the Navy recruiter that he talks about was a really good mm -hmm. um, guide for him. He really took, a, took an eye to David and looked after him. And he describes other people to his mother, of course. And, but, but, you know, he spent a lot of that time alone. And, and um, that idea started to sink in was that I'm literally alone, literally alone. And no one's coming to save me. So you have two choices. You either persevere and just find a way through the shit and you just go right through it. Or I'm just going to sit here and be nothing. I'm just going to wallow in misery and in anger and frustration and sadness, whatever you want to get, you know, whatever name you want to give it. And that's, that's how I'm going to spend my time. The most valuable thing that we have in life is, is time. And you're going to willingly waste it because you're too sad that's what you're going to do. And basically I got to the point where I became so angry with myself that I started to play these little mind games, you know, in order to get me out of bed on some days, it would be bet. You can't get out of bed, Bet you can't do it. 
and I would sort of start playing these little mind games, like basically antagonizing myself in a way. And I will say that is a slippery slope because that can be under different conditions and under a different temperament, that negative self-talk can be mm-hmm. detrimental. Yeah. However, in this case, it wasn't so much me beating myself down. It was more, I was internally, the voice that was telling me, I bet you can't get out of bed. I bet you can't work out today. I bet you can't do a hundred chin-ups today. I bet you can't do 200 chin-ups today. Whatever it was, it wasn't my voice. It was the voice of people who I believed, whether true or not. Um, in some, in a couple of those cases, it definitely was true. But for some of those cases, it was more of an educated guess about kind of like my enemies. Like it was like people who want to see me fail. I would see their face and hear their voice and it would kind of come out internally. And I basically created a fight within myself to get me motivated to do whatever I needed to do. And that was actually pretty effective at getting me out of that funk. I will say Um, in Jesse Itzler's book, one of David Goggins quotes, I can't remember the chapter. It's only about a two page or three page chapter. Um, And the, the quote at the beginning of the chapter is the two best motivated pair, you know, more or less, this is the the quote, which is the the two best motivators are fear, uh, sorry, are anger and fear in that order. And so I started to go, just get angry. Like if you're too sad, just get angry. See if that'll help you. See if that'll, and again, this is not to be interpreted literally. This is not because that's what I'm saying. Like when you start yeah. hearing this stuff, it's like, oh, I'll just walk around being a fucking <laughs> all day. It's like, no, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. That's <laughs> not what I'm saying. But for me to just get the ball rolling, I had to get that fight in me. I had to just fight. And I essentially willed myself out of, um, that funk and don't get me wrong it was a lot of ups and downs it was not oh like this is amazing and i just crushed it it no it was a lot of up and downs and it continues to be a lot of up and downs but now the downs are fewer and and further between and that's where i like to think the progress and and the toughness is coming in um so that's kind of the and then we end up to today, which is um, basically doubling down on the amount of reading. For reference, I read at about 600 words a minute, and I generally will read an average of 90 minutes a day. There are days where, I mean, there was a day last week I read for four and a half hours. I finished a, a book and a half in that day. Jesus. So I just burned through it. Um, so there are days when you're just hot, you got that hot hand, you know, and you just kind of burn through those pages and, and whatnot. And same with working out, you know, um, I'm a little more consistent with the workouts because you can't really work out than not work out than where, you know, you kind of have to stay constant. Um, yeah. So that's much more um, constant, um, but uh, consistent. But um, yeah, so I mean, that's kind of the... I don't think I really need to go into much greater detail. I think you kind of get the point. Um, and 
so then with the running challenge, um, DDP's book, Positively Unstoppable, which we'll get into, um, the one thing I want people to keep in mind um, <laughs> during this podcast, I would say, would be the, um, I'm just going to find the quote because I want to be sure I don't, I don't mess it up. But um, when you push yourself and when, when you open yourself to experience, you don't know what's going to come your way. And that's the beauty of it is that by being open and by pushing yourself, and that doesn't matter what it is, if it's school, if it's your, your relationship uh, at your work, it doesn't really matter. But if you, if you push and you continue to show that you are keen on improving yourself and you're willing to put the work in and that openness to experience, um, you don't know what's gonna come your way. And if you're putting out positive energy into yourself and into the people around you and in a genuine way, you know, you're going to get that positivity back. I really believe that. And it seems to be proven, at least from some of my own experiences. Now you're still going to get some, there's always going to be people who want to step on you and cut you down. Um, but you just got to be stronger and, and avoid that shit and keep moving forward and easier said than done. But <laughs> That's just kind of what you got to do. And the lesson for today's podcast, I think, is when um, is the the following quote, which is uh, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And I think that's going to kind of become evident as we as we go through here, um, as we go through some of these books. So I think I'm just going to leave it at that. And hopefully that little biography there um, trip trip down memory lane for me. Oh, it's so nice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, you know, the, the general idea is look, there were tough times where I felt defeated. I felt I couldn't do anything. And I basically thought, you know what, you're capable of more. There's gotta be more than just this. You're better than this and time to put up or shut up. And trust me, there are times when I doubted myself, the amount of times where I would do a workout and think there's no way you're going to get the chin up record. I, me- I remember one workout in particular um, at the flat in the UK, cause I, I bought a chin up bar, pull up bar, put it in the flat in the living room. And I remember um, for whatever reason, it just wasn't a good day. Just wasn't uh, just really weak and whatever, you know? And I, I got through three quarters of the workout and I just burned out. I just couldn't even, couldn't do it. Couldn't go. And I remember I thought, um, I even thought to myself, I'm like, there's no, there is no way that you're going to get this chin up record that that little shitty voice in your head that that pops up and is telling you that and I felt shitty for a couple minutes. And I kind of laughed it off. And I kind of went, okay, fine. You don't think I can, we're going to show you that I can. And I did yoga that day, because I was too tired to do chin ups. So I did yoga. And the whole time that I was doing yoga, which is DDP yoga, I was thinking to myself, I'm making myself stronger because I want to quit. I want to quit, but I'm not going to quit. You're just going to keep going. I'm going to change the method. My arms are too tired. My biceps are blown out. Okay. I'm going to stretch. I'm going to clear my mind. I'm going to make my body more efficient, more effective. And I'm coming back tomorrow. And I came back the next day and I crushed that workout 
like I was possessed. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, there definitely were other times that I won't get into on the air, but I've discussed in private that there were some pretty devastating lows, but you just can't let it overcome you. It's okay to feel shitty. It's okay to feel a bit defeated at times. What matters is how you respond. And default aggressive, the faster that you can respond, the faster that you can launch that counterattack, the better off you're going to be. Because what you put off today, now you got two things to do tomorrow. You put it off another day, you got three things. And before you know it, you got so many things to do that it becomes so overwhelming that it cripples you. So we'll leave it at that. <laughs> I think that's good. I think that's good. Yeah. Should we uh, run into the books here? Yeah, let's get into it. So these books, um, we're going to start with one passage from Relentless. And I'm not going to, I have nothing to say other than the words on the page. If you have anything to say, because it's a surprise for you, because I, you even asked me what's the passage. And I'm like, I just <laughs> want it to be a surprise so I can see your face on the air. So um, you don't, so if you have anything to say, throw it out there. Um, but I, I don't have anything to add. Um, for reference, actually, we'll, we'll say that at the end. So that's okay. So let's jump into this book here. As the cat comes crawling across the floor here. <laughs> so this is uh, page four, Relentless by Tim Grover. Believe this. Everything you need to be great is already inside you. All your ambitions and secrets, your darkest dreams, they're waiting for you to just let go. What's stopping you? Most people give up because everyone has told them what they can't do, and it's easier to stay safe in the comfort zone. So they sit on the fence, unable to decide, unable to act. But if you don't make a choice, the choice will be made for you. It's time to stop listening to what everyone else says about you, telling you what to do, how to act, how you should feel. Let them judge you by your results and nothing else. It's none of their business how you get where you're going. If you're relentless, there is no halfway, no could or should or maybe. Don't tell me the glass is half full or half empty. You either have something in that glass or you don't. Decide, commit, act, succeed, repeat. That's it. Man. <laughs> a good one eh <laughs> yeah it is i forgot that it's been a while since i've read it since a certain someone has had my copy since like spring but <laughs> it's fine six but... and a half months <laughs> it's it's so true isn't it it just you you buy into what you hear and regardless of whether or not that's a good or bad thing and i i'll pull i'll pull my own data on this for the next time that we mm -hmm. discuss this, but as, as a side note, you know, the human brain has something like hundreds of thousands of thoughts per day. Um, and the majority of those are negative. So if you're buying into what people are telling you, and if 60, 80, 90% of your thoughts are negative, man, you're not going anywhere. Um, and I, I think I'll leave it at that. I, there, there's a lot I want to say about this, but I think I can wait to touch into it as we move on to other passages. I feel you. Okay. This is Positively Unstoppable by Diamond Dallas Page. 
this is from the introduction, actually, this, this passage here, or these pages here. Uh, starts off with a quote uh, from uh, Muhammad Ali. I am the greatest. I am the greatest of all time. I said that even before I knew I was. Gotta love Muhammad Ali. Eh? <laughs> God, such a great guy. So, so interesting. For reference, actually, as I read this opening sentence, I will say that uh, Diamond Dallas Page was a professional wrestler. And by professional wrestler, I mean uh, WWF at the time. Um, he also wrestled for WCW. Um, so just for understanding, uh, uh, for reference. You're not going to believe this, but the one question I get asked over and over is, is wrestling fake? Seriously? <laughs> that people would still ask that question in this day and age boggles my mind. So let me answer it before we go any further. Wrestling's not fake, spoiler alert, is predetermined. Think of it as physical ballet, very physical ballet. The bottom line is you can't fake gravity. I'm no physics ex expert, but I can tell you from personal experience that when you are lifted more than seven feet in the air, and slammed full force to the mat by Kevin Nash, who's six foot 10 inches and 335 pounds of solid muscle, there's a good chance you're going to incur some serious damage. And that's what happened to me when two discs exploded in my back. I'll admit there have been a few times in my career where I pretended to be in excruciating pain, but that night it was, in quotes, a shoot. Wrestling lingo for 100% real. I was in agony. And afterwards, when three top spine specialists told me I'd never wrestle again, the psychological pain set in and I went into a real tailspin. I had just signed a three-year multi-million dollar contract with Ted Turner's World Championship Wrestling Organization. And I was headlining with Carl Malone, Dennis Rodman, and Hulk Hogan in the biggest WCW events in the world. I was devastated. Everything I had worked so hard for was suddenly ripped out of my hands in a matter of seconds. It was one of the worst moments of my life. But it's what happened next, how I reacted to the situation that has defined who I am today. At the time, I had no idea it would lead to my developing a multi-million dollar fitness company, DDP Yoga, one that has changed countless lives. I had no idea that almost two decades later it would help me save two of my closest friends' lives. I'm not going to lie, I was bummed out, depressed, and feeling sorry for myself as you might expect someone would be when he's told that his childhood dream is over. Who's going to challenge the opinion of some of the top doctors in the world anyway? The answer to that question, my friend, would be me. There have been quite a few instances in my life when I've been told something can't be done, and I've been fortunate enough to prove time and time again that you should never say never and that possibilities can and must be created through sheer determination and work ethic. When you are able to accomplish things others say are impossible, you start believing in yourself enough to challenge more of these ideas. And while having the confidence to really believe in yourself doesn't come easy, it gets easier each time you knock down another wall. Trust me. I believe that walls exist to separate those who want something badly enough from those who do not. When I was laid up at home, barely able to touch my knees, it was desperation that forced me out of my comfort zone. I could have easily thrown in the towel, but screw that. I'm not one to give up that easily. One day when my then wife, Kimberly, came up from the basement dripping with sweat but looking energized, I asked her what she had been doing. Yoga, you should try it, she said. 
I first thought to myself, fuck that. I ain't doing yoga. I'll, I'll cut that passage off there. I just like that. Um, <laughs> thoughts. So one thing I was actually talking to another, to a coworker about this and less, a little bit off topic, but I think interesting nonetheless, is that, you know, yoga has so many unique benefits for both on both the physical, mental, spiritual, and all those fronts. But, you know, I think a lot of people are almost a little bit scared off by that spiritual and mental aspect. Like when I first want, when I first started to try and get into yoga, I, I strictly tried to look for places that avoided that, um, you know, that namaste, find your flow kind of thing. Cause I'm like, well, I don't want that. I just want to stretch out and be better for when I work out, but it all kind of goes hand in hand. And, you know, especially once you start to dive into the sports psychology aspect, or even just the mental aspect being mentally strong and, it's surprising how it all t- ties in together. Uh, the other thing that I'll say is that it's crazy. And man, I guess almost a little unfortunate that for, you know, I guess a lot of people is that before they push themselves, you know, they, before they break a ceiling or before they reach a new peak or anything like that, is that they have to be in a really dark place first. And it's... Man, I mean, if we could skip all that pain and that heartbreak and whatnot, like, you know, it would be an easier process, but I guess, I don't know. I guess you also don't pick this because it's easy. So, but yeah. The thing that I've found more and more um, in a strange way, let's just talk about physical pain. Um, When I get blisters on my hand that open up halfway through a workout, I get excited. And I think after a while, when you constantly put yourself under enough physical pain, there sort of becomes this weird relationship where you almost crave it in a way. Mm -hmm. And from my perspective, I welcome it because I view it as a challenge. Like the more physical pain that you can throw at me, then it gives me a better chance to test my skills under strenuous um, circumstance. And I think that's a really interesting concept because, I mean, it's always good to test your capabilities, right? I mean, any opportunity that you can get to test yourself, I mean, that's where the growth happens is outside that comfort zone. So if you're feeling, and not like you got to, you know, break my legs and let me go run. Like, not like that. Like that's a little nuts. Um, you know, like just, yeah, just take this hammer. Just like take a few hits, just take a few hits. Right. Probably taking that a little far. Um, (laughs) you know, but just welcoming, there's a real difference between welcoming, not so much welcoming, but just going with it and fighting it. Mm-hmm. If you just sort of release that fighting, like just trying to fight the world, like it, uh, you know, circumstance, it's so shitty. Don't fight it. Thrive. Find a way to thrive under it. Adapt and, and continue to move forward. And I will say kind of to your point about um, the, the benefits of yoga itself, 
how and uh oh god this word i never say it right but i'm not going to edit this podcast so i'll sound like a goofball <laughs> if i if i do it's okay we'll leave it in <laughs> analogous is that how you print say that properly i think so <laughs> we'll roll with that i know how to spell it i hardly ever say it um but how similar is the idea of uh breaking down scar tissue in your hips your knees and just sitting in that position or or stretching in that position and breathing until you've done until you've chipped away at it and broken it down like think about that how that translates into life in general let's say it's emotional pain just breathe and ride it out and and thrive in it you know don't don't let it kill you 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 it you let it kind of come over you you accept it and you move forward and you keep going. So I think in, um, I, I think I've mentioned this quote on the podcast before. I believe it was Jean-Jacques Machado who said that um, yoga is a martial art you perform on yourself. Some MMA guy said that. I don't know if it was him, but it was an MMA guy. And I just, yeah, I like that. I think it's true. I think it's because uh, yoga is tough as hell. If it's done right, if you're if you're really stretching, if you're really getting into it, it's it's it's, it's pretty difficult. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah. um, moving one on. thing I'll add in. Oh, yeah, oh, actually, no, no, yeah. Well, one thing I'm going to add in before we jump into the next passage or the next book is that you know we talk about embracing that pain and kind of thriving in it. I think the other thing to think about is that, well, it's pain for the moment. It's pain for the hour. It's pain, it's soreness for the next day or the next two days. But the growth and the benefits accumulate. Same with yoga, same with anything that you'll put your time and practice into. And I'm happy to get more into that later, but it makes everything easier like if you're trying to race or if you're trying to do something, if you go for a run with a weighted vest, you do two kilometers in a weighted vest. The next time you run two kilometers, you're going to feel a lot lighter, you know? So a very literal, literal application of how the added pain or added struggle makes it easier in future matters. Yeah. Well said. I don't have anything to add. I think you said it perfect. Page 43, still on Positively Unstoppable. To get what you've never had before, you must be willing to do what you have never done before. Whatever it is that you decide you want, it's something new. But you still have the same job, the same spouse, friends, family, schedule, routine. What can you alter to begin to accommodate change? How will you make room for it? How will you integrate the change into your life? What you normally have done before? that will change. So be prepared to move beyond your comfort zone. This is where you have to change your circumstances, just like I did when it came to learning to read. So I'm fast forwarding a bit, but he, um, DDP, uh, was pretty severely dyslexic. And I Mm -hmm. think he said he he read it like a fourth grade reading level. Um, And then later on as an adult started to uh, learn how to read. And then guy wrote a book (laughs) pretty damn good. (laughs) Yeah. You have to change what you do in an ordinary day, excuse me, an ordinary week. Bit by bit, 
you will need to substantially adjust your lifestyle because you're going to change your, your life itself this year. So even if you're prepared to put in the physical everyday work required to change, you have to accept emotionally and intellectually that who you are is going to change on a fundamental level. Are you ready for that? If the answer is yes, then again, I ask, what are you willing to do? There are so many good points that you can actually pull from that. And that was, that was my first time hearing it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a good passage. Yeah. Man. I mean, one of the first being just things within your control that you can change. Because I think, you know, one of the most common excuses for when something goes wrong or when something doesn't go your way is that it's out of your control. And this also ties into you know, the kind of the main theme of what we're talking about, how, say it for me, sorry, luck isn't a, luck is the. Uh, luck is when opportunity, uh, sorry, what is it? Now, oh, now you're putting me on opportunity the spot. Opportunity meets skill? Is that? Meets experience. Experience. Thank That's you. It. Put me on the spot now. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think we've talked about this a bit before too, that. So. You there are so many things that you can't control. Let's not bullshit each other. Um, but within every day, there's, man, I don't even know. Let's, let's just say 10%. You can control 10% of your actions, whether that's making the decision to get out of bed on time, making the decision to put your phone down a little early, making the decision to pick something that's mildly harder over something that's easy. I don't watch do going for a walk over watching Netflix and, you know, sure. It doesn't seem like it at first, but all these little incremental changes that you have, they really add up and you also, yeah, you have to be prepared for it. It's going to happen slowly bit by bit. It exponentiates for one, once you put in the time and commit to it, and yeah, you have to be willing to give up and to, you know, to give something up. And I, I really want to talk about this when we get into 10 minute toughness, but giving things up, being willing to sacrifice and then being uncomfortable. Yeah, I like that. I think at the end of everything you say, I'm just going to say, well said. I, I just like everything. <laughs> it's good. I dig it. It just means we're on the same wavelength. Yeah. No, I, I don't have anything to add. I, I think that's well said. Um, page 71. Now, I'm going to actually <laughs> preface this by saying I'm surprised at the pushback I get on this section. Um, <laughs> I, I don't actually understand why. I, I really don't. Um, but I'll read it and then I think it'll make more sense. So let's do this. We become the five people we hang out with most. So let's take a moment to think about those people. A lot of people don't pay attention to whom they associate with or why. They just let it happen. But you need to start understanding how the people around you impact your decisions. Now get out a pen and make a list of the people closest to you and ask yourself the following questions. Do they lift me up? Do they pull me down? 
Do they get me to do the things that I should do, but I'm afraid to try? Are they happy for me when I succeed? Do they bully me? Are they driven or complacent? Are they optimistic or pessimistic? Are they passionate or apathetic? Are they loving or numb? Do they listen when I speak? These don't have to be yes or no answers. Rate each attribute on a scale of one to 10 if you want. Even if you can't necessarily score someone's whole personality, if you write about it, you're at least starting to think about it analytically. That's important. This is your life we're talking about. Depending on your answers, you may need to start to move away from some of those people, or you may have to have a few serious conversations, especially if the negativity is coming from members of your family. You're changing, and you have the right to know if the people around you are going to be in or out. Are they with you or in your way? That can be a tough deal, but if you want to see the light at the end of this tunnel, this is where the tough decisions are made. Again, it's something you have to start thinking about. So I have plenty to say about this, but I want you to go first before, before I start. I wasn't expecting that. Uh, I appreciate that. That's a good one. Um, okay, I do have something to say about that. I'm uh, going to take it in a bit of a different direction, um, which is that, so obviously, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I was alone, not by choice, by circumstance. And for me, um, I'm an extremely extroverted person, probably a total shock to everybody listening. Um, but I, uh, <laughs> I, I actually, for verification, I took a personality assessment and I won't get into that too much today, but it's something that I really enjoy doing and I would uh, highly suggest it to a lot of people. Um, but we'll talk about that a different day. Um, I placed a 94th, uh, for extroversion, I placed on the 94th percentile. Uh, which means that in a room of 100 people, uh, there's only six more people uh, more extroverted than I. Um, so we're pretty up there. And the combination of being uh, with dealing with some personal stuff and being alone was really difficult. And for me, what I decided to do in a kind of maybe somewhat obvious, but also kind of a counterintuitive way was... I threw myself into books and, you know, like the one I'm reading right now and revisited Goggins and I, I hadn't uh, got a hold of Relentless at that point. Um, but all these other books and basically what I would imagine doing is I would read these books and any uh, notes that I would take or questions that I would have, I would visually like place the author so if I was sitting on the balcony, the, the balcony that we had, the patio furniture, there was a table and two chairs. And I would sit in the, it would look <laughs> freaky if you were uh, just <laughs> watching this happen, but I would sit in my chair and I would basically have a conversation out loud in a subtle way, but out loud with the author. And that was my way of, surrounding myself with these amazing people reading these amazing books and these just so much knowledge and wisdom and just I'm trying to get a piece of this like 
let me learn, let me learn. And um, so that's actually what I started to do is I actually, in a way, would literally have these conversations. So it feels as though I know these people, you know, like the amount of times that I've talked to David Goggins is pretty tremendous because I've listened to that bloody book 50 times, 50 plus times at this point. So like you have these conversations and, and I even think, you know, okay, after I read this book, if I could meet them right now, what would be some things that I would ask them that maybe have nothing to do with this book? Like just as you would a friend, like that's just as you would converse with any other friend. So um, when we talk about uh, that section, that's my contribution. That's kind of what comes to mind is I literally would uh, visually represent them as if they were with me and uh, converse with them and, and talk to them. So I want to ask real quick, Mm. you know, from the people you've spoken to, why exactly do they disagree with this? I don't know because I just get mad at them and stop talking to them. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. I've now, okay. That I'm being facetious of course, but, um, I I honestly don't know why I, I really don't. Um, they seem to think that, okay, here, here's my armchair psychology perspective. <laughs> the people who seem to fight this the most, I think they recognize that they're on the cutting block because I think they realize that they are insufficient in some of those questions that were asked. So I think they recognize whether consciously or, or unconsciously that they know they aren't contributing as much as they could be. And I think that bothers them. And therefore they kind of push against that and go like, no, like that. Cause they don't really, I remember one argument that I heard, which wasn't an argument at all, which was like, that just isn't true. And I was like, well, what do you like, what, like explain, like, what do you mean? Like, that's your conclusion but what is your uh, evidence for that? What's your case for that? And they really didn't have anything to say. It was just like, oh, that's not, that's not true. I mean, you can be independent and it doesn't matter who you surround yourself with. All that matters is how you think and how you feel. And it's like, but don't you think that how you think and how you feel is influenced by other people? And I'm like, no, not really. And it's like, well, you're just an idiot then. Cause like, sorry, that's just blatantly <laughs> not true. I mean, and it doesn't even need to be, I mean, this book references um, the five people closest to you. Well, think about you on your cell phone, on Instagram, every five minutes of the day, looking at a bunch of people living these amazing lives, or pardon me, a bunch of people portraying these amazing lives that they're leading on social media. And you don't think that has a psychological effect on you. It does. And there's research for that. So for you to say that it just isn't true, you're just blowing smoke and, you know, beat it. (laughs) So I really don't know. I really don't know. I mean, that's my theory on it, but what the hell do I know? All right. Let me, let me jump in. Let me take a stab at this. All right. Little, I'm a play psychologist here. Call me an asshole. You can call me pretentious. Like, listen, this is a hundred percent true. I know this (laughs) from experience because like, this is something I, 
dealt with for the past whatever amount of years or something that I've seen. Like, let's talk about this. I think one of the main reasons why is that, sure, you evaluate your friends, you see some of them are complacent or they're negative or they're just in a place that's not pushing you forward. But the problem is, is that if you decide that you want to leave them or if you want to surround yourself with better people, no, 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 no. You're not allowed to do that because then you're pretentious or you're a douchebag or, oh, you think you're so much higher up that, that you can't be hanging out with them. And it's brutal. It's, you know, it's kind of true, unfortunately. I, it's really terrible to say, and I don't say that lightly, but, you know, let's talk about the truth of this. Like, all right, if going back to, I guess, what that person told you, man, if you can pull whatever you need strictly out of yourself and it's just how you think and feel and act, and I'll give, there are a few people, a select few people who can do that. I'd say the majority can't. Well, okay, what's the point of people paying money for personal trainers or going to work out in group fitness classes? It's because having that being surrounded by that group of like-minded people who are trying to do the same thing as you gives you a positive benefit. It pushes you forward. Why do we have gym buddies or why do we have running buddies? Because the accountability helps keep track of the progress. But the problem is, is that when there's no progress or when there is complacency, I hate complacency so much, but like, <laughs> you know, when, when it's that or when your friends, you know, when your friends aren't moving forward and you want to be moving forward, you're a dick. If you're trying to train for, if you're trying to train for your pull-up challenge, or if you're trying to drop 10 pounds and you're at a restaurant and they're getting burgers and fries and dessert and pop, and you're not, you're getting a salad and a water. And then they're like, oh, you're so sick, aren't you? Look at you. Oh, you're such a great person. Like, you know, it's it's not cool to be trying to, what's the word? It's not cool to discipline yourself. It's not cool to make those sacrifices when everybody else is staying still. And, you know, I'm not saying abandon your friends. I'm not saying that you're a better or worse person for being complacent. Everyone's complacent at times or in different facets of their life. But it does a lot when you actually just acknowledge that some people are at different points in their lives. Man, it's, it's whatever. You just got to realize that push a little further, take a little bit more or less in of what other people are giving up. And yeah. <laughs> well, and to your point, I've lost friends from the chin-up record, like training for the chin-up record. I'll, I'll say that straight up. I've lost friends and I've let a few go, but a few have let go of me. Um, the way I look at it is fuck them. <laughs> I mean, if you have a problem with me trying to better myself and let's be clear. I mean, I think for the most part, I think there was a period where I wasn't very good at this, where I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder, like I'm kind of nuts, you know, like, so, okay. I, I think I can say that there was a bit of a, a time where I, I did have a bit of a chip on my shoulder. 
Um, I would say that probably had more to do with the event in August. So it was more of like a rebound emotionally the other way of trying to kind of boost myself up, but I, I took it too far and I wasn't the best. So, okay, I'll give you that. But for the most part, for the most part, I've really been quiet about it. Like I, I really don't, I don't really throw, the only time I talk about it in my private circles is if someone else brings it up. That's the only time I ever talk about it. Um, you know, but it does blow my mind how somebody, and let's just put it this way, right? Not, not a lot of people can understand, just like there's some things that people want, like in my circle that I don't really understand because it's just something I would never be interested in. So I can understand there's a bit of that bridge. Um, there, there's that gap there. I, I can get that. But if what, so in, in the case of a friend of mine, who's trying to do something, I don't fully understand. I just kind of dumb it down to these questions is, are they doing something that's good for them and good for others? The answer has always been yes. And are they happy doing it? And if the answer is yes, then you support them. Simple as that. And I think you challenge them a bit too. Like, I think it's good to, when you ask them about it, kind of go, you know, are you, uh, you, you giving it, you giving it a good effort? Like, how's that going? And, you know, kind of, oh, you know, like, yeah, kind of been slacking off. And then I'll kind of go, yeah, get back at it. Don't, don't let it go. Keep going. So, you know, you challenge them, but in, you challenge them to the point that they're able to be challenged. And that's what I would hope someone and does and people do for me is they kind of, you know, how's training going? Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You doing, you doing all right? And they kind of, they kind of give me that, like, you, you, you working out a lot. Yeah. And I'm like, and sometimes the answer is no. And sometimes the answer is yes. And then they kind of remind me like, Hey, like, you know, you got this, keep going, you can do it. And then I go, okay, cool. And, and then you go out and you do it. So I do appreciate being challenged. And I also appreciate when someone, when you're being an idiot, say you're being an idiot. Like, don't, I don't want people around me being like, oh, you're doing fine. And thankfully I really haven't experienced that. I have very honest people around me because <laughs> there definitely have been times where I've been called out and like, dude, you're, what are you doing? You know? And, uh, a couple times the, the situation, you know, was like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta adjust. I gotta adjust. But that goes to show the importance of having people who have your best interests at heart because they're objective, more, more objective than you, because you're in it. You're as in it as you can possibly be. They still care about you. So they're not purely objective, but they have enough distance that they can see a little bit more of the situation in a different way. And that has value if you're willing to listen to it. And again, that's only if those people have your best interest at heart. And I think the checklist that he gave, like those series of questions, I think it's a pretty good start. Um, generally speaking, I would say instinctively, I think we all know who the bad people are in our lives. I, I think we just know instinctively. We rationalize and can spin it. But I think deep down, we all know the truth. It's just a matter of whether you're at a place where you can choose to acknowledge it or not. And I don't know if it's maybe too general of a statement, but I can say in my case, I've definitely experienced that where 
there's been a friend or someone and and you kind of know deep down that inner voice that's telling you something's a bit off, but you just go, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. And then sure enough, what happens? Well, that inner voice was right all along, you know, um, but maybe that's unique to me. I don't know. Let me, let me just jump in and say, I'm almost less worried about the people with bad intentions than I'm worried about the people with complacent intentions. Mm. Just because let's not forget, you know, we've touched on this earlier, repetition builds and it sticks and it accumulates. So if you're choosing to be complacent in whatever it is that you're going about and how you spend your time, how you go about your day, how you approach your goals or whatever, then, you know, soon enough, it's infectious. It's going to be complacency. Um, and also the other thing that you mentioned, yeah, I think it's also important to remember when you're evaluating your friends is just to have that respect, you know, distance yourself. You don't have to cut all your friends out, but just respect what they're doing. And if it's not for you, you know, I don't know. That is what it is, right? I will say I have virtually no capacity to handle complacency amongst people that I know. I have no play, I have no patience for it. it. It really bothers me. And the reason it bothers me so deeply and strongly is because I consider myself to be complacent somewhat frequently prior to running into third year of university. So I'd say that I could have accomplished so much more had I just not been so lazy and complacent. And because I recognize that in myself, I, I can't handle it in other people because I see a part of myself that I dislike so much in them, an old part of myself that I dislike. And now don't get me wrong. You can never let your guard down. Like, Oh, like I'm so tough now. I don't do that anymore. It's like, no, 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 no. The second that you start thinking like that's when that son of a bitch creeps up on you. And then that's when it bites you in the ass. But I think I can say there's no way I'm going, I'm going back to any type of complacency because there's, I'm just not, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm determined. And I will fight every day to ensure that I never repeat the same mistakes that I've done in the past. And that's just as simple as that. You just kind of, you have to know what's worth fighting for. And if it's worth fighting for, you'll fight, you know, you'll do it. It's fine. But that's all I got. Mm -hmm. um, last section. If I listened to the people who told me what couldn't be done, I would have missed on a lifetime of opportunities and you wouldn't be reading this book today. When you are able to prove naysayers wrong a few times in your life, you tend to start believing that anything truly is possible. If you put the work in, don't forget that last part. It goes back to what I said at the beginning of the book. What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? If you can just see through the shit and if you have the mindset of guaranteed success, you're two steps up already. Successful people suffer setbacks all the time, but they don't wallow in them. They get up and keep moving forward. I think we actually talked a little bit about that on the last podcast, um, mm -hmm. which was what would you do if, um, if you knew you couldn't fail? 
And uh, that's been a really powerful um, message for me. And as well as uh, luck is when opportunity meets experience. Yeah. You got it right. <laughs> but um, yeah. I'm going to hold my comments on this one a little bit. It's a hundred percent true, but really this all ties into a lot of what I picked up from 10 minute toughness. Okay. So I'll hold my, hold my tongue for now. Sure. So I'm going to read uh, from the sacred tree here and over three pages, there's just kind of a few paragraphs that I picked out. Um, this is a little bit out of context. So I, I actually went through this exact same section on the podcast with um, Vicki Whitehead that will be released after this episode. I'll speak to that at the end of this episode. That's one of the announcements. Um, but basically this book is a collection of, basically is a codified, um, somewhat codified version of basically thousands of years of Native American uh, culture. And I only am aware of um, Phil Lane uh, Jr. I, I haven't looked up the other um, contributors. So I, I don't know, because you have to remember as well, there's tremendous diversity, like Native American doesn't really mean anything that's so general of a, of a group, group of people. Um, but it's just as somewhat of a frame of, of context. Now, this section is called the gifts of the South. And this is in reference to something known as the medicine wheel. And again, this is discussed in very, I think, in, I, I think Vicki and I did an excellent job, well, rather, she did an excellent job at, at articulating um, the ideas and the concepts of the medicine wheel and, and how we can move around it throughout our lives. So I'll just leave it at that. And I would say definitely that podcast is, is where you're going to want to go for, for some of this amazing um, content, but I'll just throw a bit of it out as it relates to uh, the, the next, uh, the, the next few days here. Um, the gifts of the South, the South is the direction of the sun at its highest point. It is the place of summer of fullness of youth of physical strength and vigor. It is also the time that people work to prepare for the fall and winter months. Hence, symbolically, it is a time of preparing for the future, of getting ready for days ahead. The south direction of the medicine wheel is also the great place of testing for the physical body. There we must learn to discipline our bodies as one would train and discipline a wonderful horse so that it responds to our every command but never attempts to direct our journey. Many people behave as if they were controlled by their bodies. They cannot separate what their bodies want, certain food or drink, sexual satisfaction, sleep, etc., from what is true and good. To exercise this kind of discipline requires determination to fulfill our purposes and achieve our goals. The ability to choose goals and to decide to pursue them is the second stage in the development of the human will. In the South, the traveler learns the idealism that makes all great causes possible. Idealism is a response of the heart to the beauty or, or ugliness in the world around us. It is not necessarily rooted in deep spiritual insight. 
it is essentially an emotional attraction to what is good or an emotional repulsion by what is evil or harmful. And lastly, this section closes out on talking about the willow tree. The red willow tree is one of the great teachers of the South. The red willow is both the strongest and most flexible in the forest. It can survive flood, fire, severe winter, and droughts. Always it yields to forces that would destroy the other trees, but always it springs back. The lesson of our sister, the willow, may always be remembered by the beautiful music of the whistles and flutes that we make from her branches. And that's the end of that section. Um, it's hard to articulate the, I mean, just when I, I get a little choked up reading this. It's so, to me, it's really, it touches me really emotionally. Like it's, it's really powerful for me to kind of go through this, but um Yeah, I just, I like that. I like that. I think about that. I've been thinking about that particular section a lot um, in preparation for um, the weekend here. It's really unique how everything that you just read, it, despite it being, I guess a little, I don't know if we can call it spiritual or what the proper term for it might be, how, but how, equally and literally it translates to just everyday goal setting to sports psychology and basically any other facet of your life where you kind of need discipline and I don't fully remember what the exact words were but it's also a really big it's a big thing to realize. It's difficult to realize. And it's something you constantly have to like reevaluate um, the distinction between what your mind says you need and what your body says you need. Because normally the two things are intertwined. Whereas, you know, in actuality, you know, you can have a phenomenally trained body, but your mind is weak or vice versa. I would actually push back on that a little bit. I would actually argue that um, depends. What, well, I guess it depends. Uh, I think that's the the legal side of it. <laughs> Way of thinking is, well, what do you mean by physical fitness? You know, how do you define that? Because that's important. Um, mm-hmm. For example, I would say on Instagram, when I look at every roid monkey who's shredded to the gills and is just jacked beyond belief and they're strutting around on Instagram, you know, with, you know, a million followers, hundred thousand followers, whatever it is. And they're in the gym doing their little bicep curls, looking, looking pretty and all that shit. To me, I look at that and I go, you are the antithesis of physical fitness. Just because you're yoked like that, you're made out of a pharmacy, first of all. And second of all, actually what you've shown to me is that you're as mentally weak as they come because you don't want to put the time and the effort in to get to where you want to be. You want to take shortcuts with pharmaceuticals. Now that's not always the case. I mean, there's definitely people who are just like freak genetically and they may look, but I mean, I kind of still argue you can always kind of tell and pretty much most of the stuff that you see 
on Instagram of these yoked out dudes in particular. Um, it's like, I don't know, to me, I, I don't describe that as fitness. Can you touch your toes? Like, how about that? Can you just touch your toes <laughs> for me? Like, probably not. You know, can you run more than a mile before you're going to pass out? Probably not. You know, so I guess it kind of depends on how you want to define that. No, I agree with you like a hundred percent. It definitely, re- it needs that definition. And, but one thing that you kind of said that I think really hammers down on my point is that, you know, you talk about the body being so strong, but the mind being so weak and just emphasizing the fact that such a contrast or a, a dissonance between the two exists is something that's a little sh- shocking almost. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, one of the things actually um, from that section, uh, the ability to choose goals and to decide to pursue them is the second stage in the development of the human will. That one really stands out to me. Um, I don't really think it needs much other than like from my, from my side, I don't think I have anything to say other than that. How about you? Yeah, a little bit. And I don't want to say too much again, but (laughs) there's, I also want to just add to that. There's a really big difference between choosing a goal and actually pursuing it. (laughs) Yeah, good point. That's all I'm going to say for now. No, I feel you. I I don't even think you need (laughs) to say more. I think that's, yeah, that's well said. Um, Yeah. And, and kind of tying that back to DDP's book, you know, what are you willing to do to get where you want to go? Um, mm-hmm. but I'll leave that for the listeners to, they can answer that question for themselves. <laughs> Mr. David Goggins, here we go. Um, there's one section in particular, page 186, pretty much right in the middle of the book almost. Um, this one, I think about this almost every day, I would say, um, this is one of those things that when I first read it or listened to it, I think I listened to the audiobook first and then I read the book after. But when I first heard this, I actually did not agree with it um, because at that point in my life, I think I was too insecure and I just wasn't at a place mentally or emotionally to fully understand how true these words are and how effective they are, not just for physical performance, but just getting you through dark times and getting you, uh, uh, pushing you through the adversity that's in front of you. Um, So this is, so at this point in the book, Goggins, (laughs) I just read the mile, I saw the myoplex. (laughs) Oh, good times. Um, so th- this is David's first ultra marathon, the San Diego 100. This is actually where Jesse Itzler first laid eyes on Goggins as well. And we learned that from Jesse's book. He describes that. Um, yeah, so this is, uh, this is the cookie jar. It's funny. Humans tend to hatch our most challenging goals and dreams the ones that demand our greatest effort yet promise absolutely nothing when we are tucked into our comfort zones. I was at work when Kostman laid out his challenge for me. 
I just had a warm shower. I was fed and watered. I was comfortable. And looking back, every single time I've been inspired to do something difficult, I was in a soft environment because it all sounds doable when you're chilling on your fucking couch with a glass of lemonade or a chocolate shake in your hand. When we're comfortable, we can't answer those simple questions that are bound to arise in the heat of battle because we don't even realize they're coming. But those answers are very important when you are no longer in your air-conditioned room or under your fluffy blanket. When your body is broken and beaten, when you're confronted with agonizing pain and staring into the unknown, your mind will spin. And that's when those questions become toxic. If you aren't prepared in advance, if you allow your mind to remain undisciplined in an environment of intense suffering, the only answer you are likely to find is the one that will make it stop as fast as possible. I don't know. Hell Week changed everything for me. It allowed me to have the mindset to sign up for that 24-hour race with less than a week's notice because during Hell Week, you live all the emotions of life, all the highs and lows in six days. In 130 hours, you earn decades of wisdom. That's why there was a, a schism between the twins after Marcus went through buds. Uh, just for a quick reference, he's referring to uh, Marcus Luttrell, and I can't remember his twin brother's name, um, but you'll know uh, Marcus Luttrell's story from A Lone Survivor, uh, which was a pretty good movie, uh, <laughs> depending who you ask, um, starring Mark Wahlberg. And that um, Operation Red, Red Wings I believe still is the worst military, uh, uh, worst special forces um, casualty rate that they've suffered in one mission. And Goggins, so uh, uh, Marcus um, was the survivor on that one and the other members of that unit uh, were killed in action. And actually Goggins knew those guys. Like he, he came through buds with them as well as um, American Sniper. I can't remember his name now. His name's escaping me. Mm, I can't remember. But that that was the guy who uh, Bradley Cooper played in um, the movie American Sniper by Clint Eastwood. And that's what inspired Goggins to run this marathon was um, for the, is it wo uh, Wounded Warriors? I can't remember. I the, believe that's what yeah, it's. The name I, of the foundation. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's a basically a college fund for the children of fallen soldiers and Goggins was going to run to raise money for them. Sorry about that. I probably should have explained that before getting into All this. All good. Continuing on. He'd gained the kind of self-knowledge that can only come from being broken, from being broken down to nothing and finding more within. Morgan, the other twin, couldn't speak that language until he endured it for himself. After surviving two hell weeks and participating in three, I was a native speaker. Hell week was home. It was the fairest place I've ever been in this world. There were no timed evolutions. There was nothing graded. There were no trophies. It was an all out war of me against me. And that's exactly where I found myself again when I was reduced to my absolute lowest on, hosp on hospitality point. Why? Why are you still doing this to yourself, Goggins? Because you are one hard motherfucker, I screamed. 
the voices in my head were so penetrating. I had to bite back out loud. I was onto something. I felt an energy build immediately as I realized that still being in the fight was a miracle in itself, except it wasn't a miracle. God didn't come down and bless my ass. I did this. I kept going when I should have quit five hours ago. I am the reason I still have a chance. And I remembered something else too. This wasn't the first time I'd taken on a seemingly impossible task. I picked up my pace. I was still walking, but I wasn't sleepwalking anymore. I had life. I kept digging into my past, into my own imaginary cookie jar. I remembered as a kid, no matter how fucked up our life was, my mother always figured out a way to stock our damn cookie jar. She'd buy wafers and Oreos, Pepperidge Farm Milanos and Chips Ahoy, and whenever she showed up with a new batch of cookies, she dumped them into one jar. With her permission, we get to pick out one or two at a time. It was like a mini treasure hunt. I remember the joy of dropping my fist into that jar, wondering what I'd find, and before I crammed the cookie in my mouth, I always took the time to, ad to admire it first, especially when we were broke in Brazil. He's referring to Brazil, Indiana. I'd turn it around in my hand and I'd say my own little prayer of thanks. The feeling of being that kid locked in a moment of gratitude for a simple gift like a cookie came back to me. I felt it viscerally and I used that to concept, I, I used that concept to stuff a new kind of cookie jar. Inside it were all my past victories. I think I'll leave that there actually. Actually, sorry, one more quick paragraph. I just scan. <laughs> I just needed a second to scan that page. Just one one more little paragraph. Um, so he lists a couple of his um, most notable accomplishments, getting through Hell Week three times, <laughs> like going through it and finally getting completing it, dropping a hundred and uh was 120 pounds in uh three months or uh yeah. you know um so he, he describes that and he continues from then on the cookie jar became a concept i've employed whenever i need a reminder of who i am and what i'm capable of we all have a cookie jar inside us because life being what it is has always tested us even if you're feeling low and beat down by life right now, I guarantee you can think of a time or two when you overcame the odds and tasted success. It doesn't have to be a big victory either. It can be something small. And I'll leave it at that. I'll let you start. I was going to let you start, but... <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, no, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. You want me to go, go for, for it? it? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Um, yeah, so I can't explain how profoundly true those words are. <laughs> yeah. um, it's one of those things that is actually, um, if you refer to the book Limitless by Jim Quick, K-W-I-K, he talks a lot about the psychological benefit of gratitude and how powerful it is at a neurochemical level. And I'm not going to get into that too much right now. Cause in all honesty, I can't remember all the nuances from that book. It's been about six months since I cracked it open uh, or from when I last finished it. Um, but I, 
there's a lot of similarities between there's science behind what Goggins developed through pure brutality on his body and the concepts that Jim Quick talks about in his book. Um, I will say that the nice thing about this cookie jar thing, what I love so much about it is how intense and how beautiful the metaphor is. Like, just picture that, just picture that scene that he described, this broke ass family, you know, living in Brazil, Indiana. Okay. You can only imagine. <laughs> and all the abuse and suffering that he and his mom had um, undergone at, at the hands of his father. And in that moment, looking at that cookie and admiring it in that moment for just a symbol of positivity in the midst of tremendous suffering and adversity. And for me, just the symbolism of that is so powerful. Like I, I really do understand that. And I've implemented that into workouts. Um, it's actually kind of funny because the um, uh, nickels and dime workout that dimes uh, workout that I did, um, it's on the uh, Mysteria Fitness uh, Instagram account. And it was, I did it for 75 minutes. And it's uh, five pull-ups and 10 push-ups every minute on the minute. And I can't remember when. It was near the end. So it was about, I think it was around the 40-something minute mark. Um, and I was in a real flow state. Like I was just crushing it. 75 minutes. My previous best was 55 uh, sets. And this time it was... Uh, it was 75 minutes. And I think it was like 73 sets or it might've been 75 sets. I can't remember right now. It's funny being on the spot, all the numbers just fly <laughs> out your head, but it's on the Instagram account. The workouts on there, you check it out if that interests you. Um, but I remember there is this moment um, and you see it on, on the film and I kind of look over to my left and I just have this big smile on my face because I'm looking at the clock and what happened at that moment was I was feeling really, really tired. And I was, I had, I didn't know how many sets I had done. Like I was, I had a rough idea, but I was in such a flow state. I really didn't have a, that concept of time. And I fucked my um, timer up on my watch. Like I, I, just, I hit a button and it messed all up. So I had no clue <laughs> where I was or whatever. And but I remember being like, okay, I'm getting close to like my best. And I remember feeling like really exhausted and I'm not going to say what the cookie was, but I basically pulled that cookie out and I, and then you see this big smile come across my face and then I keep going and, and, you know, saw it through and yeah, it's just, it, it's extremely effective and, I'll give you kind of like a little idea. The cookie I pulled out had nothing to do with any type of physical activity. Like it was something completely unrelated and it was actually a rather insignificant to, to someone else. You wouldn't really think you'd be like, Oh, that's kind of like an everyday 
accomplishment or whatever. Um, but for the context and what it meant to me, it, it was very effective. And the other thing that I love about that cookie jar concept, I can't recall if he goes into it. I think he does go into it further on in the section, but the connection I made just kind of as a thought experiment was if you think about somebody who's narcissistic, what they're doing is they're dipping into that cookie jar all the time, constantly. It has no value. They're constantly dipping in there. And sometimes they may be pulling cookies out that don't even exist. They're so delusional. They're just pulling out air and looking at it like, oh, isn't this amazing? And I would actually say from a physical perspective, if you want to be very literal about it, the cookie jar concept loses its effectiveness if you use it all the time. Because if you eat cookies all the time, what are you going to do? You're going to gain weight. You're going to gain weight. You're going to gain weight. And before you know it, you're hundred pounds overweight. So if you think about it in like a literal sense, you kind of understand that the cookie jar is not something that you want to be dipping into every day all the time because it loses its power and it actually starts to work against you negatively, physically, and, and, and mentally, um, and emotionally, if you want to throw that in there. Um, so that's just kind of one of those things that I thought, I don't know if he does talk about that in the book or if that was just kind of a thought I had separate, but it came from what he said. And that's why the cookie jar is extremely powerful. That concept is so powerful and beautiful. It's eloquent. It's, it's got such a, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. I think that's, I think that's good. I think you bring up a really interesting point because what I wanted to go off of is how, you know, between what Goggins is writing here, as well as the book we're about to jump into, 10 Minute Toughness by Jason Selk, there's a similarity in that Goggins references a cookie jar of positive memories, whereas Selk, he kind of walks you through what he calls a mental highlight reel and it's a it's a it's a collection of whatever you want be it you your memories of you scoring goals or any accomplishments you can think of listed down and it's something you run through before a workout before you practice before you're about to start the work day go into a meeting it's kind of that mental preparation so i do think it's interesting that you know who both of these guys clearly know what they're talking about and what they're doing, but one of them, you know, maybe don't dip into it too much. The other is, you know, turn this into a staple and let's make it routine. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking that too, actually, um, how it relates to uh, 10 minute toughness there, but yeah. Uh, yeah. The other thing, you know, and, you know, definitely, referencing what you said is let's not be narcissistic here let's not overuse the cookie jar yeah cookie jar and overindulge but you know it's also a little bit remarkable just how far you know recognizing you know let's maybe not gloating or maybe not dwelling too much on it but just recognizing and acknowledging your smaller accomplishments might be it's a full accomplishment if you have a workout and you complete all of the reps without cheating 
or you don't cut any short. That's a, that's an accomplishment itself. And like we say, these victories or these positive experiences, they build, you know, as you keep going, your cookie jar, your mental highlight reel is going to get bigger and it grows. So. Yeah. I know that the, um, especially with the running, um, the, because I'm kind of coming at it and you know, what's kind of funny. I really do kind of hope in a kind of a, probably kind of a sick way, really. <laughs> if you think about it, I kind of hope that some people listening to this right now as, as it's Monday, uh, pardon me, as it's Wednesday and we're a couple days out. Um, so I'm talking a lot of shit for someone who hasn't <laughs> even started the challenge yet. Like I'm pretty aware of that. I'm, I'm very aware of that. And I kind of like the idea because this episode's going up tonight. And so this, this conversation is going to be out there before the actual event starts. Um, but the day that I decided, the day that it was announced was the day that I decided to do it. I thought about it for a fair bit. Um, and the reason that I was like, I got this was because I went into that cookie jar and I went, look at how much you've done. Look at all the impossible things that people said just straight up to you was not possible. Think of all the things that I've done that I thought was not possible until I did it. And I started reaching in there and actually kind of how I would look at it was I opened the cookie jar up, but I didn't really pull a cookie out. I just kind of peeked in the jar. I didn't touch anything. I just kind of took a gander and, and I was satisfied that what was in there um, combined with, among other things, just the force of will and the excitement of a challenge that's so immediate, it's coming up quick. Even by that time, it was only about, you know, it's like six weeks or whatever. So that still is a very short period of time. Um, that excited me. And, and the other thing was that there's no way anybody like I, the story I told myself, whether it's true or not, of course, is that there's no way anybody who hasn't ran more than 5k in the last five years would be crazy enough to even think of doing this. And for me, I'm like, fucking go prove it. Let's go. Let's get some and uh, chomp it at the bit. I'm, I'm so excited, but I, I've already prepared um, the cookie jar that, uh, and the cookies at the top of the pile that I'm going <laughs> to have to pull in because the pain is going to be significant but um yeah move on to uh 10 minute toughness yeah let's do it we are at two hours here so this is way longer than i thought we were. i know or i'm like wow but this is a good <laughs> conversation i i didn't even really know it's been this long i know um anything you like me to start with i know we talked at the beginning but there's five things here. And I think for the, just the sake of time, I think let's just cut two out. Um, so should we start with the ones that you um, were most excited to talk about? Yeah. Why don't we, um, why don't we run through the ones that I was really jazzed on? Yeah. And I have them really, marked. Yeah. Let's yes. do that. This is, this is like the most I'm bringing to the table all night. So no, 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 it's good. Let's, uh, um, let's get into it. Where would you like me to start? Let's just go performance statement, goals, okay. and yeah, we'll go from there. Performance statement. 
Cool. Okay. So this is uh, page 40, your performance statement. Um, as I said earlier, it is advantageous to create your performance statement before facing problems in training or competitions. You can better identify the best way to think when you aren't already in a negative emotional state. To create your personalized performance statement, you need to single out your specific process of success. Up to this point, the discussion has featured mostly athletes and thus has been weighted toward a technical execution. If you, are in, if you instead are using uh, 10MT, 10-minute uh, toughness, to further develop your business career, you might shape your statement around effective communication or negotiation techniques. Uh, he provides an example as well there. I'll skip over that. Similarly, if you are using this program to help you maintain a personal fitness routine and get in shape, then your performance statement might highlight your commitment and dedication or the routine itself. I think I'll leave it there. I think that's good. I think that's perfect. I'll throw that to you. Just um, how, what I really like about 10 minute toughness. And so I have a bunch of books surrounding sports psychology and self-improvement, blah, 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 that I'm planning to get through through the year. This is probably going to go down as one as my, one of my favorites. I can already tell because it gives you a list of very real and very simple tools that you can implement. It's not difficult to think of your own strengths and to repeat it to yourself before you're about to go into a meeting or into a game or into a practice. You know, it, I just don't think you actually think of doing, I don't think most people think of doing it is what it is, frankly. And being able to do that before you're in a negative state, that preparation and just being ready for anything as well is so, so fundamental, but it's also so simple. Now, if it's cool with you, can I jump into the other two points I wanted to talk about and then I'll flip it to you. Um, I'm not gonna read straight from it, unfortunately. I wanted to just kind of walk through it as a high level overview. One of the key things that's also included in 10 Minute Toughness is Selk talks about how there are three levels of goals, which is also fantastic because you know, I don't think people necessarily, I don't think anyone really, or most people breaks down their goals to that extent. Going into it quickly, you have ultimate goals, which is kind of what you want. And it's the how and when, when everything is said and done. If you're an athlete, it's winning whatever that ultimate prize, or that's kind of the easiest application. But it breaks down into these two very fundamental features of goal setting. The first is that you set product goals. And, you know, Selk writes says these are the ones that can be measured numerically. So for you, numerically, you want to run a four by four and 48. That's kind of the goal in itself. For a hockey player, they want to score 50 goals in a season. For a sprinter, they want to be able to sprint. I, I don't know what's a good benchmark of a fast sprinter. <laughs> I don't but, know either, but yeah, whatever fast is. <laughs> exactly. Let's make this a, something that's really, really simple for, or really applicable for people. A person sets a new year's resolution and they want to lose 20 pounds, which is fantastic. And whatever the goal you set is, there's, you know, there's always some kind of, there's a number that falls with it. Now, 
what goes hand in hand with the product goal is the process goal. And that's identifying and writing down and committing to what it actually takes to do that. And so there's almost a disconnect, I think, when people set their own goals, because if you're trying to lose 20 pounds, well, what's the, what are the product goals? What, or sorry, what are the process goals? What steps are you going to have to take in order to reach those? So it consists of whatever, sleeping on time, trying to refine your diet, trying to exercise X amount of times a week. If you're an athlete, it's making sure you're doing the reps, watching the game tape and following through with the preparation. And I think a lot of the reason why goals fail, why New Year's resolutions for one fail is because A, they're not written down, which 10 minute toughness loves to do. It loves to write things down. And it kind of sets a goal in the distance at the top of the stairs or whatnot, but it doesn't put any steps in front of you. And let me pass it to you before I go into the third point. Yeah, actually, I'll, I'll say what um, I just thought of when you when you mentioned writing goals down. Um, the accountability mirror uh, reminds me of when Goggins was talking about writing his goals down, his objectives on post-it notes and sticking them on the uh, bathroom mirror. Um, because it makes it real. It makes it it literally makes you accountable because if you don't accomplish that goal, you know, you're going to have to tear that paper up or throw it away after you look at it and realize that you failed to execute. And yeah. So I just kind of thought that um, it just kind of reminded me of, of that. Um, yeah. I do. I do have one quote at it and actually, before we jumping into the next point, Selk writes that the act of writing down as well as talking about your goals makes them more a point of your reality. Yeah, that's good. I like and that. So one thing that I actually did, and happy to send this to you later, is that there's an entire worksheet that's included in the books. That's so right. Yeah. I actually took it out and I printed it. And it's on my to-do list to fill out, go through the greatness or the goals to greatness worksheet and write it down and make it real. And the other thing I thought of is that, you know, maybe that's why when we were kids and we got in trouble, our teachers made us write, I will not run in the hall. Or, I will not <laughs> sweep in class. So makes me wonder if there's something there. Um, the other thing that I wanted to get into and that I'm, this might be one of my favorite parts of the books is it's in the goal setting Q&A, which is towards the latter half of the book. It's on page 106. And can you actually, can you do me a favor and can you just, yeah, read the, uh, read a little bit from that? Yeah, sure. 106. Pause. <laughs> okay. Uh, step four, just read that part. Yeah. You got it. Step four, strength and sacrifice. This is a quick one. <laughs> List the two most significant sacrifices it will take to achieve your ultimate goal and next season product goals. Second question or second statement. List your three greatest strengths that confirm that you have what it takes to achieve your ultimate goal and your next season product goals. Actually, really quickly before I throw it to you, what I like is that it's it uh, the order 
sacrifice is first, strength second. That's what I really liked about that. Mm-hmm. Throw it to you. What I love about this, it's it's pretty simple. It's asking you to write down literally three five lines in total. Mm-hmm. But I think that the progress that you can make or how far you push yourself and just how you can measure that progress is it can go so much further when you acknowledge what you're willing to sacrifice and the fact that you're willing to sacrifice something. And so for me, one, one of the easy things was that, well, if I can sacrifice less time on my phone and less time playing video games at night to get eight hours of sleep, that's going to get me to my goals even faster. And this is the other thing that I was thinking about when it came to these or to this step is that there's, we said this, there's such a difference between saying you're going to do something or planning a goal and setting it and actually doing it. You know, if I say I'm going to run a marathon, then that's something in the future tense. So if you really want to get into the way the English is written about it, like it hasn't happened yet. So if you change that into the present tense of I am doing this, I am doing that, I'm going, I am sleeping eight hours a night, I am getting two workouts in a day, I am putting my phone down after 8 p.m. is, and you know, some, those are some of the sacrifices too. It's like, well, that's such a key difference between, I think, A, complacency, um, but also the people who say they're going to do something and it's just words, but the people, and then the people who can actually follow through on that and turn it into something, um, into an actual result. What's something that we don't like about people who talk is that they're all talk and you know that they're all talk is that, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But there's no action behind it. It's all fairy dust, mystic, mystic language. There's nothing substantial to it. And, you know, you make it real when you start acting and, and start pursuing, actively pursuing what it is that you say you're going to achieve. And for the record, it doesn't have to be something that people know about. They can just see the work. You don't have to, uh, this isn't about letting other people know what your goals are. This is about you knowing what your goals are. And, you know, I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, I think it does help if you have a good group of people or even a person that you trust and who, who has your best interest sharing that because it gives you another person to make you accountable to to help you stay accountable. So that's always a nice touch. Um, But yeah, you just have to know for yourself, like, what are you willing to do? What are you willing to sacrifice? And, and and what are you willing to do to get to where you want to be? And I will say that the thing that I really love about the um, indigenous wisdom that I've been um, researching and, and continuing to learn. Um, hopefully I can be so bold to say that I have learned this, or at least I, I, I understand the concept. Let, let's put it that way. You never stop learning, but understand the basic concept, uh, basic concept, um, is that there, there is no, uh, 
taking without giving. And that's really important is that it's give and take. You, you can't just think that you're going to get to where you, and if you want to like translate that into like a very literal approach to what we're discussing, um, if you want to achieve X, you don't get there without sacrifice. It doesn't, it does not happen. It will not happen. And I will kind of throw the idea out there that maybe the sacrifice that is necessary may not be the sacrifice that you think of right now. And I don't know how that manifests itself. Like I can't really give a specific example, but there's definitely been moments where I've realized that for myself, where I go, Oh, the sacrifice is a little bit different than what I thought it was. And then I think the question becomes, are you willing to still go there? Um, that's a different conversation for a different day, but I'll just kind of throw that thought out there into the, uh, into the atmosphere over here. One thing I'm going to add to that, actually, while, you know, right after you said it, is that the sacrifice that you give um, or that you put out, I think for a lot of people, it's daunting to think that, you know, you have to, whatever, go give this up for two weeks so that you can achieve something or that you can, you know, like that you have to work out every day for six months to, you know, reach your physical fitness goals. Now, I think that the other thing about sacrifice is that like, it doesn't have to be something huge. I'm not saying that I'm like, we all like, I still struggle with being complacent and I'm not saying that I'm throwing away my phone or like deleting TikTok and Instagram. I'm still on it, you know? And I'm not saying that I'm going cold Turkey. And if I want to lose weight or do something, I'm not giving everything up and eating, you know, chicken breast and rice and, you know, cold vegetables. If that's, if that's your thing, man, full respect to you, Mm -hmm. but you know, the sacrifice can be smaller because if you've got the time and if you have the patience, which is something, I think patience is such a remarkable virtue because, you know, if somebody achieves their goal within three months and you achieve it within six to 12, that's fine, man. Like you reach it at the end of the day. Right. And if it makes it more sustainable, if it makes it less intimidating, if it means that you're actually going to do it because, you know, going on a walk is easier than going on a run. There's no problems to that. Um, the last thing I do want to add is that it's, I lost my thought. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, while you try and get that back, I'll sorry. Oh, did you get it? I just got it back. Good. I bought you that time. (laughs) Yeah. You know, no, I lost it. You go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, The the other thing I will say kind of related to, well, what we were just discussing is that I think in order to um, receive, you have to first be willing to give. And I think that's where it starts is you lead by example and you set the tone and you have to show that you're willing that, that kind of selflessness, which is that you, you really do have to lead by 
I'm willing to sacrifice before I can gain. And that mentality, I think, will serve serve me well. It's serve it's serving me well. Let's put it that way. Um, I'll leave it at that. I have not found my thought. So. <laughs> no, fair enough. I'm that's good the way where it goes I am sometimes. Right now too. <laughs> no, that's the way it goes sometimes. No, nope, all good. Um, so actually, to close this out, I, I know I said I was going to skip the the, the two uh, sections here. I actually just want to read them, having kind of looked at them again. I, I'm just going to read them, and I don't have anything to say. Um, I'll leave it to you if you have anything to add. But I'm gonna I'm gonna leave my thoughts at just reading the words on, on these pages here. So very briefly, uh, this is, a, a, again, a 10-minute toughness, start of chapter four, the identity statement, influencing self-image. An identity statement is a self-statement designed to improve self-image. Your self-image is essentially how you view yourself, what strengths and weaknesses you believe you possess. It has been demonstrated that what people believe they are capable of accomplishing largely determines how much they will actually accomplish. Self-image is a proven agent of behavior control. When you truly believe in your ability, the self-image motivates the behaviors needed for you to live up to your expectations. And then in that same chapter, fast forwarding a couple pages, in a revised version of Dr. Maxwell Maltz's work, Psycho-Cybernetics, testimonies from top athletes such as Jack Nicholas and Payne Stewart and coaches such as Pat Riley and Phil Jackson support Maltz's position regarding the powerful impact that self-image has on athletic performance. Self-image is not mental trickery. It is a scientifically proven agent of control. The self-image identifies and motivates the necessary behavior and connects it to the desired outcome. The key is to create the self-image desired, decide who you want to be and how you want to live, and then continuously tell yourself that you have what it takes to be that person. The self-image will guide and direct actions and behaviors until the self-image becomes the reality. In the words of Maxwell Maltz, you will act like the sort of person you conceive yourself to be. More important, you literally cannot act otherwise in spite of all your conscious efforts or willpower. This is why trying to achieve something difficult with teeth gritted is a losing battle. Willpower is not the answer. Self-image management is. Actually, I kind of lied. I said I was going to leave it at that. I actually will kind of throw one thing out there. This reminds me of the Muhammad Ali quote that I read at the start of uh, the introduction from DDP's um, book. Um, the only thing I will say that I kind of fight against a little bit is right at the end of that. Um, this is why trying to achieve something difficult with teeth gritted is a losing battle. Willpower is not the answer. Self-image management is. I don't necessarily like how black and white that statement is. Mm -hmm. That's um, right. I think uh, maybe a kind of more encompassing way of saying that is you got to have the willpower. You got to have that willpower. It's very important to have that self-image. Um, I kind of relate 
this may be maybe not a correct way of looking at it, but how I connect these ideas is I see that cookie jar idea in here, which is, you know, Goggins telling himself, you know, you're out here running still because I'm a bad motherfucker, you know? So that's his self-image. I'm a bad motherfucker, you know? But he has the willpower to keep fighting. So it's not enough to just believe that you are that. You have to have the willpower to pursue it and to continue to achieve that and to, to, to meet your expectations. So I figure if you kind of combine those two, I like it. Mm-hmm. I think the two have to go hand in hand. I definitely agree with what you're saying. Um, and obviously I can't speak on Selk's behalf or I can't speak to him, but I do wonder what, you know, what exactly he meant by gritted teeth. Um, To me, when I read that, I think it was like, I interpreted that simply as a matter of positive negative mindset, which is where that whole self image comes into play. And my last point on this is I don't have the exact words for it. It's actually in this book, which I haven't gone to yet. Uh, Living with the Monks, another Jesse Itzler novel. And he spoke about it in a, an interview. Basically, he was washing a, pl- a pile of 300 plates. And in his mind, you know, it's it was a daunting task. It was kind of bullshit, frankly. You have 300 plates to wash. Whereas the monks told him, no, you don't. You have the plate that's in your hand, and then you have the next one, and then the next one, and then soon you'll be done. I paraphrase, I don't know what the correct quote is, but you know, I think maybe that's where the whole teeth gritted and the positive negative mindset comes into play. But 100%, the willpower has to be there too. Should be yeah. there. Yeah, I like that. I like that. You know, don't look at the... Um... Don't look at the mountain in front of you. Look at each individual state, uh, each individual step that you can take to get to the top of the mountain. The last thing I'll, I'll say, the goal for the run, um, I figured that if you're going to participate in a challenge like this, you know, it's, it's in the best interest of the community that you do something to bring people together, particularly with how, you know, shitty things are right now with COVID and COVID fatigue, you know, quarantine fatigue. Um, it's, it's refreshing, at least for me, psychologically to do something like this, to just take my mind off of kind of the everyday bullshit and to engage in something that's novel and, and difficult. I have quite a few people who are going to run with me. Well, a handful of people who are going to run with, run with me, including uh, Mr. Vincent Plano over here. Um, so it'll be nice just to kind of, just to kind of have a few laughs and, and just kind of show people that we're out here getting it done. Yeah, I'm just, I'm excited. I'm nervous, um, but I am so looking forward to it. And uh, I'm, I'm most looking forward to after the weekend, um, the next time that we do this podcast, being able to uh, talk about it. Because um, I'm, 
is going to be difficult. It's going to be painful. And I <laughs> can't wait for every moment. Um, but yeah, we're going to get it done. We're going to do this. So thank you all. Thank you for being here. And um, we'll catch you next time.